Hey, I'm Elijah, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning again, church. So as I said, my name is Mark Pittenger. I am kids director here. Um, I am also a Lions fan. We got any Lions fans in here today? Um, I'm also a Lions fan. I hope it's not too early for this. Um, but man, we just, we, we, it was such a, such a great feeling this season, wasn't it? Um, just the roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs and the adrenaline of, of hitting that high and then coming back down to the valley and the, and the peaks of the mountain. And it was such a fun season. And I think, I think that it was so fun and it was such, it felt so rewarding because we have been so faithful to this team through dark, dark years. Like, there was 0-16. We didn't win a single game. But there was just, I can remember so many times, bad penalties that, that cost us games. And, and there's just so much stuff. So then, all of a sudden, we were good. Like, what? And it wasn't just us that noticed. It's like the whole country was like, hey, this team is for real. Like, what happened? This is not the same old Lions. And again, I think it felt so good to us because we remained faithful to them through the dark years. And I couldn't help but to think of this scenario when I was reading through the book of Ruth. So today kicks off our family month here at the River Church. Every February we focus on the family. And this month we are going to be going through the book of Ruth So as I was saying, as I was reading through the book of Ruth, I couldn't help but to think of, of, of the dark years, and then it gets better. Ruth is faithful, and then she's redeemed. When we say family, we can, we can, we can think of many things. We think of our spouse, our kids. Our parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, maybe your closest friends we consider family. And we know that, that dealing with family is a walk in the park, right? Like that is our favorite thing to do most of the time. No, it's, it's not. It's hard. It's tough. It's tough. So we're going we're gonna to be looking throughout the month of February at... at Reflections of the Gospel in the Book of Ruth. We're going to be looking at faithfulness within the family. Today we're going to today we're going to get like an intro to the Book of Ruth. We're going to we're going to see like what was these dark days of Ruth. What was the dark days that lead into the redemption? 
And now we're going to look at some, some practical ways from, from these dark days and the faithfulness that Ruth shows. How can we have faithfulness within our family? How can we show faithfulness to God? So just a couple quick uh, pointers about Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book in the Old Testament. And Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. King David. And, and if, if you want to look at this genealogy, Ruth's husband was Boaz. And you see Boaz's name in Matthew chapter 1 when it breaks down the genealogy of Jesus. And you can trace Jesus back. And in that genealogy, you can see that it goes from David to Jesse to Obed to Boaz. So Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Today we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to jump into the very first 18 verses. Yes, I said 18. That seems like a lot. Um, we're, going to, we're going to jump through these, though. So if you're turning there, if you have a Bible, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Um, if not, Scripture should be on the screen. Ruth chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the, two, and the name of the two sons were Machlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose in the fields of Moab, that the Lord, or then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she, so she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal with you kindly, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, we will, go with you. we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Let's pray. Father, just come back to you again, Lord, today to say thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can dig into your word and we can use this as a guide to know what you would have for us. Well, Father, we just ask that you guide us. We just ask that this is your message and that, 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 that you are touching our lives in a way that only you can. Father, we, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was a lot to take in, right? But I think the author does a great job of painting this dark picture here. The author sets the stage. He says, when the judges, in the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth takes place in the same time as the judges. And if you know anything about the judges, it was a dark, tough time for the Israelites. See, the Israelites had disobeyed God, and rightfully they had been punished the Israelites had turned to other gods. They had started worshiping other gods. And therefore, the one and true God put a famine out. So then we see in verse 2, Elimelech and Naomi, along with their two sons, they leave Judah. They leave Israel, and they head out for Moab. The Bible says they were Ephrathites. Popular belief is, the Ephrathite, or Ephrathites are from Ephrath, and Ephrath and Bethlehem are the same thing. Now, now Ephrath may be a newer word to you, but Bethlehem is one that we're familiar with most of the often. In Genesis 35, 19, it's talking about Rachel, the wife of Jacob, and it says, Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So we see Scripture telling us that, that Ephrath and Bethlehem are the same. So we see that, that Elimelech and Naomi were from Bethlehem. And they leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Well, in the book of Judges, chapter 10, we see that Moab was pagan, meaning that they did not worship the God of Israel. We also see that, that, that Moab was a polytheistic land, meaning that they worshipped many gods, more than one. In Judges chapter 10, it says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, and the gods of Moab. Gods, little g, plural, gods. So we see that the Moabites were pagan. Then in verse 3, we, we get to the first tragedy. We get to, to what really sets the tone for this story, and that Elimelech dies. The leader of the family, the husband, the father, dies. And Naomi is left there by herself with her two sons. Verse 4, we see that the sons marry. Two women, two Moabite women by the name of Orpah and Ruth. And they live there for ten years. Then we see the second big tragedy of the story. The two sons die. 
And this is all within the first five verses. All within the first five verses. Then we get into verse 6 and verse 7, where it says that the ladies leave Moab for Bethlehem. Naomi's ready to go home. She had heard that the Lord visited and that there was food there again. She had a longing to return to Judah. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know um, I love going on vacation. I love traveling. I love seeing different places. But one thing that I, it never fails is, like, it's exhilarating. It's fun. It's, 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 it's the, anticip the anticipation is so much. It's so much. Then you get there. And you're just having a blast. You're having a great old time. And then after, after a few days, this, life, this, this lifestyle kind of becomes the norm, right? This is, this is what we do while we're here. It becomes the norm. And then for me, for me, after like five days to a week, hey, I'm ready to go home and get back in my bed, right? Like, like it's, it's just a longing to get back home. That's what I thought of when I, when I did. Naomi had a longing to get back to Judah. She also had a spiritual sensitivity about her. She acknowledged that the Lord had been back there. She acknowledged that he was happy with what was going on because he had blessed them. He had came and visited them. And in verse 8, a lot of people will say that Naomi shows some, some immaturity here and that she's complaining and that she's in bitterness. And then others will say that, uh, that it's actually just the opposite, that, she, that spiritual sensitivity she had about her. She, she was showing here a concern for the spiritual well-being of her two daughters-in-law. See, there were three occurrences that Naomi addressed them. The first was in verse 9. She says, the Lord, uh, the Lord grant that you may find rest. She hopes that the Lord grants them rest. See, we, 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 we think this is the spiritual sensitivity because in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So she's, she's hoping, hey, I pray that the Lord grant you a rest, a rest that only he can give you, a rest that only comes from the Lord, from knowing the Lord. But she, see, she was also concerned because she was telling them to go back to Moab, a, a pagan land. And going back to a pagan land, they were bound to have a pagan husband and a pagan life where they may not know this peace, this rest. The second occurrence is in verse 13, when she says, hey, the Lord has gone forth the Lord's hand has gone forth against me. She's saying, hey, it's going to be a challenge for you. This is not going to be an easy task for you 
to come back to Judah with me. Number one, I'm old. I'm not married. I don't have kids. When I get back to Israel, I'm going to be at the bottom of the totem pole. And you coming in as, as a Moabite, as a foreigner, it's, it's not going to be easy for you. See, she also felt that maybe she was getting this wrath because when times got tough in the, in the land of Judah, instead of sticking it out with God, instead of staying there and, and keeping their faithfulness with God, they bowed and they went to Moab. So maybe she's feeling a sense of guilt, a sense of bitterness. Maybe she's suffering from the consequences of them leaving So she's saying to the, to the young women, this is not going to be easy. Just like when we have family issues, we have to deal with, it's not going to be easy. That's verse 13. In verse 14, we see that Orpah decides to leave. Orpah says, you know what, you've convinced me, I'm going back. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. But then verse 15 points to Naomi. Or Naomi points out that Orpah's leaving to Ruth, I'm sorry. And she's saying, hey, go back to your people. So you see, your sister-in-law already left, right? And this is the third occurrence that Naomi addresses them. But she's talking specifically to Ruth. She's saying, hey, Orpah left. Why don't you go with her? It's, going, it's not going to be easy for you as a pagan Moabite woman. So verses 14 through 17 show us that choices have to be made. Orpah made the choice to leave. Now fittingly, and this is how the Bible is so awesome and how God is so awesome at, at when, he, when he inspired this word... The name Orpah derives from a Hebrew word, oref, which means neck or stiff-necked. And isn't it cool that Orpah was the one who turned and walked away? And, and if, if you are watching somebody walking away, you are seeing their neck or they're turning their neck to you. So awesome how God works like this. So as Orpah walks away, they see her neck. Are you stiff-necked? Are you, are you ready to turn your back and walk away? Or are you more like Ruth, who vows her faithfulness to Naomi, and she stays faithful, and she sticks it out? Now, the name Ruth in Hebrew means compassionate friend. Again, isn't it awesome how God puts this stuff together? So when facing uncomfortable situations within our families, what is the choice that we are going to make? Are we going to turn our back and be the Orpa? Or are we going to Grit our teeth 
dig our feet into the dirt and fight through the dark times. I have a, I have a personal story currently happening of somebody in my family that, that I love very much that is in a very dark time right now. A very dark time. And the easy thing the easy thing for me to do would be what everybody else is doing and just turn my back and say, enough is enough. I do not feel like dealing with this anymore. And believe me, there are times that I actually do say that. Like, I, I just, I'm done with it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. But I also know, I also know that that is not what God's will wants me to do. He wants me to dig in and fight through this dark time with my family member. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. The Bible tells us narrow is the, narrow is the gate and hard is the way to righteousness. It's not going to be easy. So, how do we react in these times? Um, a couple things that popped into my mind were panic. Something happens and we panic. Or maybe we shut down when, when, when pressure builds or, or something happens that makes us uncomfortable. We just shut down to the world. We don't talk to anybody. We don't want nothing to do with anything. We shut down. Or maybe like Orpah, we just we walk away from it. Hey, if I don't look at it, they can't see me, right? Like the little kids, you can't see me because I can't see you. We walk away. We turn our back on our issues. Or are we like Ruth and we stick it out? We figure out the way to fight through the difficult times. What can we do? First and foremost, give it to God. Pray about it. Pray about it. Always pray. Always cry out to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It should be our first reaction. It should be the first thing we do is give it to God. Well, what does that look like? Praying with your spouse. Setting time aside, some quiet time where it's just the two of you, and praying out loud with each other, for each other. Maybe that's early in the morning. Maybe that's late at night. Studies have shown that when a husband and a wife set time aside specifically for them and block out everything that's going out around them, and they dedicate some time just for them, that they grow. They grow closer together. And especially when you give it to God, because then God gets involved. How about praying with your kids? Praying for your kids. How about first thing in the morning, teaching them that first thing in the morning, thank God for another day. At dinner, thank God for this food. 
give him our problems. Before bed, we can pray. Here's a hard one for you. How about when those kids get sassy or get angry or get mad with you and they start yelling at you and our first reaction is to blow up? How about we take a breath and we pray with them? We give it to God. See, Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. When they get sassy, and then we get sassy, and then they get sassier, and we get sassier, and the next thing you know, it's an all-out brawl. That's metaphorically. I hope nobody is brawling with their kids, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Some days. Um, ultimately, though, ultimately, we should be praying with our families and praying for our families. We should be giving them to God. Another realistic way showing faithfulness is knowing God's word, studying the word together. My grandparents, whom I looked up to growing up, um, they got up every morning and they would get their Bibles and they would sit down in rocking chairs. There was a fireplace and a rocking chair here and a rocking chair there. And they would sit down and they would, they would read, the, read the Bible. Now, they didn't do it together. Mornings were personal study. But every night, they would sit down in those same rocking chairs and they would be in a different spot in the Bible and they would study together. And I remember seeing that like, that is so awesome. That is so cool. And that's how they, that's how they lived their life together for 50-some years. Now, I mean, now I, I used kids and I used spouses. But it don't have to stay there. It could be aunts, uncles, cousins, that whole list that, that, that I showed earlier. Parents, siblings, friends. Hey, guess what? We don't have to be face-to-face, arm-in-arm with family members to pray for them. We all have cell phones. Pick up the phone and call them. Hey, you've been on my heart. I've been thinking about you. Let's pray. Let's give it to God. By doing these things, not only are we showing faithfulness to our families, but we are also showing faithfulness to God. We are sticking it out in the dark times. Naomi was in a dark time, and she said, hey, you don't have to be doing this. You don't have to be a part of this. And Ruth said, but I want to be, but I'm going to be. I'm in it for the fight. I truly believe that I'm standing here today because of my grandparents' faithfulness to their family. I spent a lot of my childhood living with my grandparents, and they taught me Bible. They taught me Jesus growing up. Does not mean that I grew up to be a perfect individual. Absolutely not. But... They instilled that foundation at a young age. Now, this is just a personal opinion, but I think this is where society and the church as an overall has kind of failed over the last few decades of, of being 
in touch with that spiritual sensitivity and the spiritual well-being of those under us, of raising our kids to fear God. Look at the world around us. We've lost that spiritual faithfulness. And it's up to us to teach the world, to teach our kids, the next generations, what that looks like. Opening up the door to our lives, to God, to allow Him to come in and work. Allow Him to use His Spirit to change us for the better. And we know that if we are faithful to God, that He will be faithful to us. God is faithful to us. See, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, we see that God promises us a Savior. He's talking to Satan in this, in this instance. This is right after the fall, right after, right after they, they got into the fruit. And Satan's there, and God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That he there, he shall bruise your head, that he is a promise of a Savior. God's saying, hey, I'm going to send somebody who's going to take care of all this chaos and nonsense that you've started. Then we fast forward to Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. And this is a popular popular passage around Christmas time, but this is where we see that God delivers on his promise. This is where the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. All throughout the Bible, we see where God makes promises, and then he follows through. He delivers. I just picked that one because that's what it's all about. God promised us a Savior, promised us a way out, and then he delivered. He followed through the birth of Christ Jesus the Lord. But then we see that when Jesus was born, he also was faithful to us. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 8 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though he was God, he came here as a humble servant, as one of us. Yet he lived the perfect life. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus was faithful. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
So the faithfulness comes through 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus did not sin. He came here as a humble servant person. However, he did not sin, yet he hung on that cross. He, he climbed on that cross. He put himself up there for us. He took all of the weight, all of the pain, all of everything that comes with sin fell upon the shoulders of Jesus as he was on that cross. And it says, he was made sin, he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus, through his sacrifice, we become the righteousness of God. That is the ultimate act of faithfulness. Every single ticking second of our lives, we are called to be more and more like Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus, putting God first in our lives, in our family's lives, and ultimately showing him to the world. So I ask you again, are you going to dig in and fight and remain faithful to those around you to your family, the way that Ruth was to Naomi, the way she promised and then she followed through, the way God promised and then followed through, the way Jesus followed through. Because the Bible tells us, and I'm going to close with this verse, First John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. Again, you have a choice. When times get tough, you have a choice. I urge you to choose the hard road. Choose to fight and dig in and give it to God.